Welcome to the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is where accomplishment and harmony coexist. Now, here's your host and Spa Life curator, Diane Halfman. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Live Your Spa Life Show. Spa life is a lifestyle that accepts that accomplishment and harmony coexist. The spa and spa life, the SPA, is for seek power always, that power within you to do your bigger work in the world. I am so excited to introduce to you my special guest today, Petra Golber, who is a speaker, author, mindset coach, podcast host, and DJ, which we're going to talk into that as we go. I just love that little nuance. And a wellness leader who is known throughout the industry as the beacon of authentic happiness. She's also a keynote speaker that inspires people around the globe to stand up for their lives and live profoundly from their hearts. Her work is rooted in the science of positive psychology, and she coaches individuals and teams on how to get unstuck so that they can become unstoppable. Petra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute privilege to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I first have to say, I loved your book so much. Uh, you know, came out in August of 2018, and you were in association with Decapo Lifelong Books. And this was your first book, your first release, um, The Perfection Detox. We're going to talk a little bit about what that actually means, but it really talks about taming your, your inner critic, living bravely, and unleashing your joy. And congratulations on that going number one for new releases in Amazon. What was your whole experience around having that book and why did you decide to write it? Hmm, that's a wide question. Um, the experience was I learned so much about myself. And I guess the first reason to, I, why would you write a book? So I had been in the fitness industry for probably like close to three decades at that point. And people had already said, no, go and write a book. And I was like, there's nothing I want to say about diet or a six pack or a, it's all been done. I'm way better than I could do. And about seven years prior, I had been doing a keynote at a very small fitness conference I think it was like 10 steps to get successful and skinny in six seconds. I don't know what it was, but I casually mentioned my battle with chronic anxiety. Side note. And at that moment, I felt everyone kind of lean in. I was like, oh, I've hit a chord here. And so I could have gone on my perfectly prepared talk. I thought, let me just take five minutes and kind of explore this a little bit deeper and I don't remember what I said, but you know, normally at the end of a talk or a fitness presentation, I have a couple of people wanting to say hi and you know, have a picture. There was a line outside the door of women wanting to talk to me. And the big question was, you, Petra Kolber, suffered from anxiety? I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm full on panic attacks. And they're like, I can't believe that because you look so perfect. I thought you had it all figured out. And that's when I was like, well, if I'm going to write a book about anything, it was not on my radar at that point, you know, to write a book. I thought this would be the topic that I wanted to write it about. And then I started diving a little bit more into perfectionism and I did a TEDx talk on it. And I got so many people writing to me offline, like my daughter struggles with this. I struggle with this. So I, you know, I thought I was going to write a book about one of two things, happiness or perfectionism. And I thought there's enough great books out there on happiness. Let me dive into something that I struggled with it with because we often say you teach what you need to learn. And so that's kind of how I came to the book and the idea behind the book. And then from selling it to a publisher to writing it to actually then having the contract and then deliverables and then 
You know, everyone asking, how's your book doing? You know, basically meaning, is it a number one on New York Times bestseller list? And then, so there was many, many amazing things that I learned about myself and the book publishing process. Some greater and more joyful than I could have possibly have imagined and some more challenging than I also could have imagined. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. You know, and you know, I'd like to talk a little bit also about just the the quest for perfectionism versus wanting to have a great impact. You know, our our mutual friend Todd Durkin talks about impact, right? About how it is that we want to be that in the world. And if we look at, you know, you have your role as a as a consultant and contributor to many magazines and you have a large outreach. In fact, I just have to say this out here that you've been named the Fitness Crusader of the Year by Health Magazine. Magazine, and you've also been the face and voice of leading food and fitness companies. I mean, ones that we all recognize from Reebok, Spry Living, Yes Fitness, uh, Music, and California Walnuts, right? So there's all of this exposure out there. And to the outside, it may look like that's, it's all perfect and you have our far reaching. And what does that look like? What's the experience for you of having that kind of impact and, and being far-reaching, and distinguishing between being perfect at it versus having the impact that you intend? Mm, Such a good question. Uh, We can have impact and influence without perfection because I say we connect in our cracks. You know, you want to be an someone that people aspire to be, or, you know, it's, you have a way of life that they go, oh, that's something I would, I could see myself in that life. I could see myself in their struggles. There's no learning in perfection. So I think that's where I got where I got hooked up, Diane, is the idea that when I when I first started in the world of fitness back in the day, no one expected anything from me. I was this young upstart from the UK. I had an accent that nobody could understand. <laughs> I came up the ranks very quickly. But again, I didn't know what I was doing. I just had a great time doing it. And it was the moment the name fitness expert was put on after my name. Mm. Petra Colbert Fitness Expert is here now to talk to you about. And then what happened, Diane, no one ever told me. Reebok, yes, California Walnuts. No one ever said to me, for us to still value you and for us to still want to partner with you, you need to be perfect. You need to say the perfect thing. You need to look perfect. No one ever said that to me. But what happened was, as the stakes got higher, Diane, my old negative tapes, my inner critic from the past, coaches of mine that had said to me, you're not perfect enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this enough, yada, yada, yada. You're never going to make it. Somehow these voices got triggered again. And my thought, very faulty, no one had said this to me, but you know, someone can say something to you in passing and they've already forgotten what they said when they walk out the door. And you can take that on as your new truth and carry it with you for 20, 30 years. My new false truth was to be a fitness expert, I need to be perfect. And that's when I started, my, my, my impact and influence began to rise. My self-confidence began to come down. And the joy that I had, look, I was very blessed. I loved every second of that part of my career, but I could have had so much more joy, Diane, if I didn't expect myself to show up perfectly. Say, as always like a couple of steps ahead. Mm. What happens if someone's asked me a question that I don't know? And I think that was the big thing. For anyone out there watching or listening that feels that to be of influence and to be of service and to be of impact, they need to know everything, couldn't be further from the truth. 
You need to know a little bit more than the people you're trying to inspire because that's the great thing about the world we live in right now. It's changing and growing and hopefully there's some thought leaders that you surround yourself with that know more than you do. But my inner critic, Diane, was saying, you need to know everything. And so it put me kind of on guard. So anytime I was speaking on camera or in front of a group, I was always in the moment, but I was always in the moment and a little bit ahead, like waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting to be seen as the fraud. And so I think that was the, that was the jagged, the, you know, the sword that kind of, you know, lifted me up, but also kind of, I cut myself down a little bit. So I hope that right. answers the question. Yeah, yeah definitely. Around it. <laughs> No, what I, I appreciate about this is that you talk about that it can be just a, a small thing that can have us, you know, once we walk away and, and everyone else has forgotten about it, it can expand and affect, you know, our self-esteem and, and what that actually looks like. One of the things that it had just recalled for me is, you know, um, I, was, I was a San Diego police officer for, for 10 oh, wow. years and I worked undercover. And in those times, people don't get to see who you truly are. It's who you are portraying in in the moment. And so I really started exploring, especially after I retired, was, you know, in what ways are people being undercover in their life that they hope people don't see about them, that they're not being exposed. And I think that in that aspect of, of not wanting to be exposed is that secret hidden self of like feeling that we have to be perfect. And, you know, it's almost like this cultural thing that it's like, if we're not perfect, then it's like, it's almost an extremes, right? That there's no degrees in between. It's either you're perfect or you're a failure. And so knowing that this perfectionism kind of pops up culturally with us, what are some of the things that, that you've done to deal with this? And how do you help other people really look at this from a different perspective? Well, I think, I, uh, A, the fact you're an undercover cop, I want to interview you about that. That's fascinating. <laughs> but I think the big thing is like anything. A word, perfect is only a word. It's actually an illusion. Who gets to decide what perfect is? The first thing I'd say to someone listening or watching is, what does the word perfect mean to you? I mean, when you say, I want to strive to be perfect in my job, in my career, as a partner, as a mother, as a father, as a whatever, when you think of that word perfect, to that particular area of your life, does it bring you joy or does it suck the joy out of you? Mm -hmm. So if it's bringing you joy, don't change a thing because your interpretation of perfect, what you've attached to that word is working well for you. And if you're a different person and you think I need to be the perfect partner, mother, father, influencer, whatever, and that sucks the joy out of you. It almost feels like there's someone sitting on your chest like, What happens if I get found out? What happens if I make a mistake? Then let's look at the thought behind the feeling because feelings are just a reaction to a thought we're having. So there's some thought going on in you or your life that was probably given to you 10, 15, 20 years ago, or been given to you more recently by social media. You know, this is what we believe you need to look like to be of worth, especially if you're in the fitness world or the spa world. You know, this is the, this is the perfect picture. If you don't look like this, then where's the place for you? So I think it's really looking at the thought that's triggering that feeling of either bringing you joy or sucking the joy out of you. Second thing is once you've noticed that, and let's say perfection is not working in your favor, Many people then kind of push back with me when I say, 
Can you replace that word perfect with something that brings you joy? Even excellent. I strive to bring my best, to bring my full self, to bring my full authentic, you know, undercovered, removed self to the world. Can you do that? And then I get this pushback down, especially from high achieving people. Well, if I don't strive to be perfect, what does that mean for me in my business? Mm. Because their fear is, there's irrational fear and it's very black or white and it makes me laugh because there's this weird idea that if I give up the word perfect, which is an illusion, it's who decides what perfect is, I'm now going to become someone who sits on the couch eating bonbons, binging on Netflix. Listen, I love a good Netflix binge now and again, but the thing is that's not even in your DNA. And what I say to the people is who worry about if I give up this idea of perfect, what does that mean for me in terms of a part, whatever is important to you and your values. I say, it's my guess that you might even work harder. You might even go deeper. You might even stay longer. But the difference is not what you do, but what's driving what you do, the why. Mm. So we're no longer driven by fear and doubt and this idea of we're going to get found out. And we're now driven by possibility and curiosity and collaboration. Because when we give up perfect, it allows us to say, I don't know. Do you have the answer? It allows us to say, can you help me? It allows me to say, can we collaborate? It allows me to say, I'm not feeling good in this relationship. It allows us to ask for what we need, ask for help without us thinking that that is a reflection of who we are. It allows us to separate what we do, how we act in the world from who we are in the world. Mm. Well, I can see like, you know, a lot of times where people who are striving for that perfection or really, you know, the success in, in their area, what that looks like, they may feel that that perfectionism, if you will, is actually gives them the edge to get to the next level of where they want to be. And that they've now tied that perfectionism into their success that gets them a leg up on someone else. So how are you sharing with someone that they aren't losing their their edge and their drive that may be tied up into that perfectionism? Yeah. I love that you said a leg up on someone because we can be very competitive and that is a very real conversation, right? How do we stand out in a crowd? And then it also encouraged them to don't look at others for comparison, look at them for motivation because it's only one of you. The way you're going to get a leg up is by being more of you. It's not about changing who you are, it's about becoming more of who you are because that's the one thing that people can't compete on us with. It's who we are. So I think the thing I invite people to consider is this is not asking you to not work hard. This is asking you to maybe just check in with what, again, what is the driver? And look, I want to excel in what I want. I'm just getting started. But I have more joy now and I have more capacity also to collaborate with other people because mm. there's a lot of people out there position themselves as helpers and gurus and thought leaders. There's also way, way more people that need our help. And when we can be authentic, it's a bit of an overused word right now, but we can be truly yourself in this world, then the right people are going to show up for you. The right people are going to be, are going to find you, maybe not overnight, but the right people where you can do your best work will show up. So I think when we can let go of this idea of perfection too, it allows us to, we want it all, we want it now, we want it immediately. And then if we don't hit that golden ring, it's like, like you said, that very black or white thinking. But when we can have more compassion and show up 150% and give our all and collaborate with others, it just 
it's not saying you're going to work any less hard, but you're going to have more joy. And instead of viewing other people as competitors, you definitely want to keep an eye out on what other people are doing, of course, but it's from a different lens. It's not like, oh, they're doing that, so I need to be doing that. Or it's from a very, it's from a less, is removing the lens of competition and judgment, which we often tend to do mm-hmm. if we're going for that comparison. And we can look through the lens of appreciation and reflection and motivation and inspiration. And it changes, it changes the energy behind what we're doing. And that will show up in the interviews, in your blog posts, in the offerings that you put out into the world. There'll be a sense of ease without losing your influence and impact. Yes, yes. You know, this reminds me of, uh, you know, founder of Spanx, uh, Sarah Blakely, where, uh-huh. you know, when she grew up, her and her brother at the table, that it was their father required them every night to, you know, share at the table how they failed that day. Like it was their whole way of being is to fail because in failing, it's like there weren't any, you know, when you put yourself on that perfection, you're, you're in fear of failure, right? Because you're, you're so close to that perfection. You don't give yourself those, those chances to fail, to actually fail forward and to move into something. So I always love that, this, that example of it being okay to fail and to be in that. And kind of another analogy, instead of the black and white, is kind of like that on or off switch, right? Instead of having an on or off switch, you know, with a light, you know, having a dimmer switch where when we allow ourselves to fail and give ourselves, you know, some wiggle room within that perfection, is that we can kind of move it up the light versus just being, we're on or off. Yeah, know? and I think yeah, you, that you bring up failure is such an important thing because what is failure anyway? You know, and again, I say to people who are perfectionists of the really toxic level, um, I often say to them, and they really are afraid of giving up this perfection, giving up their edge. I'm gonna say, I bet you, you're not even close. You think you've hit your, you know, your, your high level, your A game. I guarantee you, you haven't even begun to hit your potential because to hit your potential, you got to make mistakes. And if you've never made a mistake, you have not even tapped, even begin to poke the ceiling of your creativity and possibility. And I often say, what is failure anyway? To me these days, the only thing I would consider a failure is a regret. What if I had not done this? That to me is a failure, not trying. But I always say there's data in the disasters and there's research in the rejection. And when we get to look at, let's even reframe that word failure to, oh, it didn't, it didn't go as planned. Mm-hmm. We then get to look at what didn't go well. And often what happens, Diane, is like, oh, it was a failure. I, it just didn't work. And we go, and I, let's start all over again versus going, okay, let's look at what didn't go well. What could be tweaked a little bit? Okay, well, it's going to tweak that, bring that piece into iteration 2.0. What did go well? Because half the time, 80% of what you did went awesome. And it was that last 10% that needed to be tweaked, maybe 5 10% we need to let go of and change for the next time. So mm. when we get to look at it, not as a failure, but this is just a lesson in disguise. And there's lessons from learnings and lessons from mistakes. What can we, did we do well? We keep that. What could be tweaked? We, we iterate that and bring it in. And then maybe there's 5%, 10% we let go of. But when we don't look at failure and we can't sit in what didn't go well, we lose so much information and data that we could bring into the next thing that we want to do. 
Right, right. Well, and there's so much value in in failure. And when you look at the word fail, one of the things that uh, was brought to my attention of fail, just that F-A-I-L is, you know, when you look at that, that fail allows you to have freedom. You can then, you know, adjust and you can then innovate and then you can lead, right? There's all the information that is in that failure that allows you to move forward. And with that, you know, we have... um, there's all the things around social media now where a lot of people are talking about that we only see the highlight reels of people's life, right? That we don't really get to see those failures or the things that aren't working. And so how do you feel that social media is actually playing into um, our sense of having to be perfect? One of my first examples is you, you, don't want, you don't want social media to be therapy, in my opinion. It's like, you know, you can share your struggles, but I also say you want to make sure you've also done the work to have figured out what it was that you did to get through the struggle. And then you share the strategies that helps you get through it. Because, you know, social media can also be a place where people are like, you know, woe is me. I'm not a big believer in that either. And though, when I first started teaching happiness, I moved into like this positive psychology area, Diane. And without even realizing it, I had been a little bit guilty. I started posting like all these things that had made me feel so lit up about my life. And I'd get these messages offline like, how, how can I be happy like you all the time? And I went, uh-oh, <laughs> warnings, because I'm not, you know? Right. So I began to kind of share a little bit of what was going on with me at the time, not going into too much detail, but you know, sharing my struggles. So the hard thing is, I would say, look, for many of us, social media is a platform we can't ignore because it's a way to spread what it is that we do in our business. But we have to be really mindful of how we use it, what kind of energy we do, do we bring into this conversation? And then how do you feel when you get off it? I'm in a battle right now myself, Diane, going, you know, where do I put my attention? Where do I put my focus? To be quite honest, I am much happier when I am not on social media. Mm-hmm. I am just better when I'm not on scrolling because I still, that is one area I am working on because I tend to get on and spend a little bit too long on there without full intention. So I kind of get off going, oh, look what they're doing and then you know, blah, 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 the whole comparison mode. Right. So I think it's also going on with the real awareness of what social media is and what it isn't. Right. 99% of the time, it's the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. It took 200 goes to get that one perfect selfie. I'm traveling the world next year and I just went to get some books on travel and one of the best-selling books are Insta-worthy places to go. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to go anywhere but those places. But you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a battle. So I guess it's, I think it's really checking in with why you're on there. You know, are you spreading good? Are we making sure that we're not trying to make ourselves better than anyone else? We're there to inspire And then when we're going on and maybe we're looking at other people's blogs or Instagram feeds that we respect and we want to learn from and, you know, maybe see how they're positioning themselves, go from a lens of learning versus comparison, because there's always going to be someone there with many, many more followers than you. And here's the other thing, Diane, we forget that they also, we're now seeing them, right? The Instagram megastars that have a million plus followers. There was a day when they had one follower. Right. We don't see that. Even if it's on social media, they're working really hard. That's their job. That's their craft. So I'm like, instead of being jealous, I'm like, kudos for you for sticking it out and figuring out the algorithms. And that's a full-time job. So again, it's just recognizing that a lot of the people that we are looking at on Instagram or Facebook, but 
I'd say especially Instagram and even YouTube now, this is their job. They are masters at the craft. So again, don't compare yourself to what is even happening on social media and just use it for a tool for good. And if you're feeling worse, many of the times you're feeling worse when you're getting off, check who you're following, check how you're feeling when you get on and just can you craft that almost like a physical fitness for your soul? You know, really cultivate what that looks like for you. The time you go on, make sure you're energized, you're in, in intention, you're awake, you're not bored, you're not depressed. Go on at your highest peak self and then make the most of it in a way that's meaningful to you and you can spread meaning and impact to those you want to help. Definitely. Well, thank you for that. Because one of the things I really appreciate is that, you know, when people see that someone has, you know, millions of viewers that, that they don't see that that is their job, right? That they've put a lot of energy. We don't see, you know, we see the result, but we don't see all the, you know, hours and time and shifts and, and really, you know, cultivating their message and, and all the things that they've done to get there. So it's really good to be able to look at the whole picture when we look at that. And I know that um, our listeners really appreciate the journey, right? That's part of the inspiration. And so we have a lot of conversations around, you know, what are disempowering aspects of your life, things that have maybe not worked that actually led to you standing in your power. So I'd love for you to share about, you know, you are a, a two-time cancer survivor and you now have a different relationship with time and how that affects your mission and who you are. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, a little bit about that journey and how you came through that. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. You know, it's so interesting you bring this question up because just today, I don't often think about my cancel journey. I was, I was lucky. And the fact that I, the, no doctors still refuse to say you're cancer free. They say you're in remission. This is 20 plus years later. You are in, you know, you are, can, whatever. I'm like, okay, semantics. But at the time, it was late 90s. It was the height of my fitness career. And what happened, just the quick synopsis of what happened is I had a melanoma on my foot, first of all, which I thought was ironic because that was my career. But we cut it out and everything was fine. And then two years later, I had a lump on my neck. Long story short, I ended up being Hodgkin's lymphoma. But there were six weeks there. We were going back and forth between biopsies. And my doctor had said to me, we have two choices. I think it's a lymphoma, which we're hoping. Otherwise, we're nervous that it was melanoma that might have spread. We took, look, we're talking about you have six weeks to live or quite possibly the rest of your life to live. Those six weeks, I really looked this idea of time in the eye. I mean, it was up front and center. It was like, oh my God. And not once did I worry about my weight or what I was doing. It was like, I haven't been around long enough. The two things that came to me, I haven't been around long enough to live the life that I want to, you know, to give what I want to give back to the world. And I, at the time it was like, I haven't been around long enough to love in the way I believe I'm able to love. And then we came back, Hodgkin's lymphoma. They're like, oh, you're going to be fine. I was like, very little sympathy from anybody. I was kind of miffed by that. <laughs> but you know, I went, I would, I'd have chemo. I lost my hair. I'd go and teach a step class on that Tuesday. And not that I cruised through it, but by any means, I, and I didn't. But it was a wake-up call that I had forgotten until very recently. And I, so just a side note, I had to ask, I'm at that age right now where sometimes you forget how old you are. And I remember my mom used to do this. It's like, how can you forget how old you are? <laughs> and for the past couple of months, I thought I was 57. And then I asked Alexa, say, hey, Alexa, if I was born on August 1st, da, 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 how old am I? She goes, you'd be 56. I'm like, 
I gained a whole year. When? <laughs> I know. But recently, Diane, I'm hitting this point in my life where I'm getting this sense of urgency and it's, mm. it's wonderful and terrifying. It can move me into that loop of procrastination, like, or it can move me into a, mo- um, a loop of inspiration and let's get moving. So right now, my idea of time is to have a regret-proof life because I love this research by Bronnie Ware of the top 10 regrets of people as they're dying. We don't talk about death enough. Um, I don't like to talk about it, but you know, I've got more years behind me than ahead based on my genetics and just whatever. So I'm like, how can I make the most of my time now and inspire women my age or around that age you start to go, am I too old to start something? You know, Because that's the conversation I hear with so many women I coach. Oh, I'm too old to get started. So my whole mission now around time is no regrets. Leave love, leave your legacy, leave your impact, but don't leave any regrets. So this whole thing about time that I kind of got lazy with, I got kind of lazy with, not anymore. I'm waking up and that's what I want to, you know, so I just think time is that thing that's so precious, you know, that you can't put a price on it. You can't give it back. You can't get it back. So let's make sure we use it in a way that's meaningful and brings joy to our own life. And also, can we leave the world a little bit better than when we found it? Yes, I love this. You know, there's such, you know, intentionality about, you know, how we're living and what that looks like. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of the environments that we create. You know, I was commenting on your, your, you know, background, how it's such a great reflection of you and what it looks like. And so one of the things I always like to ask my guests is that, you know, we have a different experience of how we feel in our office versus our bedroom or our kitchen. Um, what is your favorite room in your home and why? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Well, I have an apartment in New York, so there's not that many rooms to choose from. I would say my bedroom uh, because it's super quiet. I don't allow any electronics in there apart from Alexa. I don't bring my phone in there. Occasionally, I'll bring my iPad if I'm Googling the places to visit, but I really try not to have any electronics in there. And it's on, for those of you that don't live in a busy city, my apartment runs from a main street to an off street. So that is the area that it's more quiet, but I couldn't. And right now I'm not in my bedroom. I'm in my living room because I wanted to be able to set up a filming space that I felt looked pretty. And it just wasn't going to happen in my bedroom. And I didn't want filming equipment in the bedroom, so on yeah. and so forth. But I'd say my favorite room is my bedroom. Yeah, it's a great question. I love that. I love it. So fun. Uh, just, you know, because it, we need to be intentional about how we're living and, and what that looks like. And, and um, uh, I love that, you know, it's just this, the sanctuaries that we create with ourselves. And, um, you know, one of the things you, we talk about standing in your power and I was, I had a curiosity around in your book, you'd mentioned that um, pineapple was your power word. <laughs> Do explain sister. <laughs> well, that was an optional power word. It came up. Why did it come up? I can't remember where it was. It was a couple of years ago and I was feeling really miserable. I was like, oh, woe is me day, boo-hoo me. And it really wasn't that bad of a day. (laughs) And I just saw pineapples and I said, pineapple, I just started laughing. I thought, you know what? That's not a bad reframe word because how can you be mad at pineapple? So what I do say is, and you know this with intentionality, being so intentional with our thoughts and the negativity bias, our brain loves to go to the negative because it kept us alive but it can overstep its boundaries. So we need quick, like quick memory boosters, quick reframers, quick you know, interrupters. 
And so I often say, invite people to think about a mini mantra, whatever that might be. And pineapple is one that I, it's worked for many of the people I work with. And occasionally I get these random texts. It was a pineapple kind of day. And you just know what it means. I just think it's hysterical. And so it doesn't have to be pineapple, but something that lights you up. It, for me, for a while, it's just, I refuse to beat myself up. You know, it could be gratitude. Mm. I'm grateful for, you know, Be Here Now by Ram Das. You know, rest in peace was one of my big ones. Just be here now. Something to like put that little interrupt between the negative of what was or what could be and then the beauty of what is in this moment. And if pineapple works, have at it. Yes, I love it. It's so fun. And, you know, there is, I mean, there's so much I would love to continue to talk to you about. And I know that our listeners are going to want to connect with you more and that you have a workbook. And for those of you who haven't read the book yet or, or don't know exactly what we're talking about here, you know, there's actually a 21-step process to this perfection detox. So it's a very comprehensive system. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your workbook and how people can connect with you. Yeah. Well, first, when you, when you hear 21 steps, don't panic. It's not like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this already sounds hard. How am I going to do it perfectly? Because that's the first thing. It's really three phases. And this is really rooted in the science of positive psychology. First of all, we got to clear out the clutter. You know, those thoughts that have been with us for so long, they become so comfortable. We are not even aware of them anymore. So it's about basically having an awareness and then it's acceptance, right? Because then we're really going to go, oh, you know, I've done all this work with Diane. I should know better than this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, 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 you're doing the best that you can. So it's awareness, acceptance. And then our brain doesn't like the vacuum. If we, if we clear out the negative, we've got to put something in its place. So then it's how to basically reprogram and have our brain start tipping over to the positive, seeking the good, being a benefit finder, benefit seeker versus a fault finder. And then really the third part are just little mini things that you can do to anchor this because it's, you know, loving yourself and trusting yourself and not loving and letting go of perfection is also a skill. It's a habit. So those first few, you know, days, it's going to be, you're going to default again to what you know for sure. So the last part is just anchoring that and rooting it in the, in the science of positive psychology, which really is about finding the good of who you are and the good in the world. And then looping that into a program or a methodology that you can follow and revisit any time that you just feel like you're at war with yourself, basically. And again, the 21 steps are easy to do. It's not, not going to take you forever to do, but it is work. It is work. It's not an Instagram post. Like, just click on this. It's going to be gone. It is work. I call it the heart work, but it's work so worth doing because when you can love yourself and even like yourself, then you're going to bring all of yourself out into the world and just be able to impact and be of service in a really beautiful way and enjoy the journey along the way. Oh, thank you so much. I love just that bringing down to home of just not only loving yourself, but liking yourself and, and the Let's process start, yeah. of all of that. So I just want to thank you, Petra, for your wisdom and for being here with us today. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, you got it. And to our listeners, you want to thank you so much. You know, your number one resource, Petra touched on it today, is your time. And we so appreciate that you giving a part of your time to spend it here with us. We would love for you to put in whatever medium that you're listening to or watching this, put down any of your comments or questions and to tag both of us. We would love to answer any of them and stay connected with you. And, uh, you know, to build this community for us to really get the word out. Um, it's so helpful for you to not only subscribe so that you get timely 
only of when the next episodes come up, but to rate and review. People actually read those. It actually has impact. It, it affects the reach. And it's like you being able to have your vote of what kind of messages go out into the world. So that's the impact that you can have um, by doing that. So please take a moment and rate and review today. And until we connect again, live your spa life. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Your host and spa life curator, Diane Halfman, wants you to know you can download her free guide to start living your spa life right now. Go to dianehalfman.com and click on the link for the nine secrets to step into your spa life. Now, live your spa life where accomplishment and harmony coexist.